somehow made it through episode one before we go any deeper into that i need to throw our uh rule of acquisition oh please uh folks i want to go ahead and part some uh, true words of wisdom from an unfortunate race that won't have much more involvement in the rest of the series and that is the ferengi with the 208th rule of acquisition uh joe are you familiar with this one i'm, I'm afraid i'm not please enlighten me sometimes the only thing more dangerous than a question is an answer. And I feel it's appropriate because the question here is, where are the Maquis? Where are we? What is going to happen? The very dangerous answer is stupidity, boredom, and disappointment. <laughs> so that's a great way to start episode two of V'ger, please. A hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant as we continue to discuss the pilot episode of Star Trek Voyager. Uh, season one, episode one, Caretaker, because uh, the first 25 minutes is very interesting. It's very good. A lot of getting to know some people. And the the last two-thirds to three-quarters of this pilot uh, fails to pay off on that in any uh, uh, appropriate way. But it was funny. There's there's some good there's some good hitting here. Uh, before we go any further, uh, we're your hosts. I'm Peter. Oh, I'm Joseph. And where we last left our heroes is they just locked down Voyager after getting zotted across the galaxy in front of this big array. Janeway went downstairs to the engine room and basically crossed a few wires and and made it so the ship wouldn't fucking blow up. Uh, she's got she's a certified warp mechanic, I guess, or whatever. Uh, they, they got their doctor trying to take care of all their casualties, and suddenly everyone's getting warp beamed out of the ship. Suddenly they are in front of a plantation house. It's got they've got the willow weeping willows in the background, and it's just some ga- down old home country people in front of them. Yeah, they've ended up at a space cracker barrel, essentially. Dude, as soon as we saw this, and I saw the farmhouse and her start yelling about lemonade, instantly my eyes just roll back in my head. And it's just like, how many times have we hammered this this goddamn trope of, like, we're in a in the middle of space, yet we're at a farmhouse? Like, I, I felt like I just hit a wall of disinterest. Yeah, they, they, obviously, they all figured out quick, too. Like, this is clearly some sort of weirdo hologram. And you've got all these people kind of standing around, like, suspiciously looking at all of this nonsense as all these people show up for a fucking hoedown and are eating corn. And, like, what the fuck is going on? Janeway tasks uh, Harry and Tom to, like, go fucking find the fuck is going Everybody. on. Like, yeah. clearly there's some shit that we don't know about that we need to get to the bottom of. So they're rolling out, and one of the holograms like follows after like the 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 saucy far- farmer's daughter hologram, which Tom Paris immediately wants to bone. I'm glad we have a moment of him like obviously entertaining the idea of a roll in the hay with this hologram. I mean, he's basically like flicking his tongues over her lips, and like Harry's like, "Come on, Tom." <laughs> it's like Tom's the cool kid in school, and Harry's like his nerdy younger friend. You know, Tom Tom yeah. doesn't give a shit. He wants to just bang the hologram but harry presses on and they find the the spot where where all the the holograms are being generated in this weirdo perfect version of a southern plantation house and suddenly it all gives way to this corridor that looks like something from the twilight zone whoa whoa whoa, whoa. You, 
You're you're jumping you're jumping ahead here. <laughs> Such a painful and slow scene here. Uh, you know, you know everything that you need to going in that, hey, there's no space farmhouse. You know, this is very clearly some sort of an illusion, blah, blah, blah. And they just, they wallow around in the scene and really rub your face. And it's like, come on, can we just get this goddamn thing moving? It's like, did you did, did you spend that much money on a location shoot that we got to spend an extra five minutes dealing with this? Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So you've got an advanced technology and, you know, they're warping people around. These holograms are very clearly like, animal handlers like hey just keep these guys tied up while we do whatever nefarious thing we're gonna do and then all the important shit's in the barn we don't want people to go in there like first try to screw this guy and then be like no don't go in there she's got like her arms across like the doorway and it's like if the the secret switch is hidden in the barn and you don't want people to go in the barn why don't you close the goddamn barn doors alien entity because everybody floods in there anyways and they're like pitchforks teleport in and you know, we're not eating corn after all forget about the cookies now you get the the mean alien treatment and they end up closing the doors anyways if you don't want someone to enter this part uh you should probably not make it such a big deal that you really care about this part of your simulation you should not continue to tell them not to go there when they are clearly you know trying to go in there <laughs> We talk about Star Trek Next Gen crawling itself out of the the grave and all the growing pains of a new experience and all, you know, I can't afford these same luxuries to Voyager. They know better. This is just stupid, bad writing. And it's like just head scratching, like, what the fuck, man? They unveil that this is all a simulation. And then we see this long stretch of weird alien bio beds uh, with all of the Maquis that we've been looking for, with just kind of like a blanket strategically placed over their chests with some sort of plunger inside them. Yes. And I'll also go ahead and note that this alien entity must be accustomed to dealing with people much smaller than humans because it's like it's like they're laying on like ironing boards. Like everybody's arms are just dangling off to the side. So all of the Voyager crew members, they get kind of beamed into basically out of their clothes mm-hmm. into into the blanket and we we see some horrifying shots of of them being essentially probed or experimented on or injected or whatever and um, I think those are injections in the sternum and uh, we cut to commercial after that and the very next shot we have is everyone coming to wherever they were standing previously back on the Enterprise uh, back on Voyager rather. Uh, which has grace, gratefully not exploded. Like whatever Janeway did apparently locked everything down enough so that there's a bunch of debris and all that, but place is still intact because they've been gone for three days. Doctor's still on. Yeah, and, you know, there was that throwaway line in there that uh, she used to be a science officer. I, you know, the more I think about it, the more I like this Janeway so far. Uh, I, I appreciate the way that she came up and her locking things down. At least there's some sort of foundation of like why the captain would know how to stop a warp core cascade failure or whatever. They find the, the Maquis uh, Trans Am out there. Uh, they put it in a tractor beam. They're concerned because they're missing someone. Uh, they're missing Harry Kim. And they're, first they wonder, maybe Harry Kim got beamed over to the Trans Am, so they, they bring up the, the Trans Am on, on the uh, view screen, 
And we get another shot of now Chakotay. Explain it. They're missing someone too. They're missing Bolana Torres. They say, okay, well, we've got a problem then because you're missing someone, we're missing someone. We got to figure out what the fuck happened. So what's the most reasonable thing to do with uh, the terrorists that you were dispatched by Federation High Command to capture? Clearly, have them, invite them over. This, so if you were to sit there and you were to give me a sales pitch on Voyager and say, uh, we have a Federation crew that pursues Federation terrorists and they end up in the far reaches of the, cata- of the, of the galaxy and now they're thrust into a situation where they have to work together. Um, I would say, wow, that sounds really edgy and cool. That's something that I would like to, to hear more about and I think you could tell a really good story there. That sounds like a really great pilot episode, maybe even a, a, a whole story arc to span a first season is getting these two groups of dichotomously opposed humans to unify into one crew. And instead of really selling that and, and exploring that tense drama, they just hand wave the whole fucking thing. Like, Hey, Oh, there's a, there's the Taliban over there. Oh, you lost a uh, mock mood. Well, we lost uh, Joe. <laughs> Instantly, I, I pause the thing and I turn to my wife and I'm like, um, why would they not just like take these dudes out and throw everybody's ass and be like, secure your primary objective and then start worrying about some other stuff? And I know there's like certain hard answers you can't ask about Star Trek and or questions you can't ask these episodes, but just so mind boggling. Well, I think at first they, they make you think there is going to be some tension because they beam over. Immediately, Janeway's like, all right, uh, hey, Nice to see you again, Tuvok. By the way, Tuvok was totally a spy. Chakotay turns around. He's obviously, like, shocked by this revelation, and he he immediately makes it racial. Like, starts calling him Vulcan in this sort of derogatory way. Well, even before that, the fact that the Maquis beam onto the bridge, just both sides, like, hey, Maquis, your ship's a piece of junk. You guys are scrappy terrorists who got to do whatever to get a leg up. Like, oh, look, there's some Federation dummies that want to play nice. Why don't we go over there and fucking take their shit? Now we'll have a badass top-of-the-line Federation cutter ship. Like, they, ooh, okay, they beam over. So anyways, they beam in to the bridge, the nerve center of this hot shit Federation ship phasers out ready to go and that dipshit security card behind uh jane was like look out captain they're armed like uh yeah thanks i can see everybody's got a fucking gun in their hand uh no promotion for you motherfucker that's why that's why i need my first uh that's why i need my vulcan back is because all the other security on the ship is complete garbage well they 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 come out they they come over with glocks out but they immediately diffuse all the tension even after chakotay like throws some shade at paris for you know, being like a mercenary and they obviously don't like each other and they, Janeway settles it all. It's like, listen, everyone can it. We're, we're trying to find our people. So let's, let's fucking get our, our act together and go and, and find them because we think they got beamed to where this space station. Joe, I can't get past this. The more I think about it, the more it's driving me nuts. This is so stupid for both parties. The Federation had an easy capture for the fugitives that they've been sent out to collect. The Maquis terrorists had the perfect opportunity to to waste everybody on that bridge and score a, a baller-ass new ship. Like, this moment just defies all logic and common sense. But moving past this terrible thing, I, I want to go and say this is this is really where you get that, uh, that guy that you're talking about, the extra in the background, the one I keep saying is wearing the umpire stuff. This dude is throwing some 
some grade A shade. Even my wife's like, look at this guy. There's this smoldering gaze. Like, when, when you don't get when you don't get lines, you have to act with your face. This guy has got the best story out of anybody in the show so far. I mean, with the exception of maybe Quark. Like, I'm watching this. I'm like, what could? How many? family members of this guy did Tom Paris drag into a fucking basement and molest? What did he <laughs> steal from this guy? What what did did this guy did Tom Paris like date rape this dude? Like what what could elicit such hateful hateful looks? Uh, he acted better with his face than than Chicote did with his words, clearly. Yeah. And I want to go ahead and jump off on a second here. Why is Paris even in a uniform? Like, yeah. you know, they've got the mock. He's got like some serious resentment to this guy. And Janeway's like, you'll respect him as a member of my crew. And as you would respect me. And it's like, he's, he's a piece. He's a fucking prisoner. You got this guy dressed back up. Like he's, you know, everything honky dory. Like he's got everything on him except for the pips. Yeah. He doesn't have rank insignia, but otherwise he looks like he's in Starfleet still. Like, but we'll, there's a, there's an interesting note at the end of the episode. I think about, about that. That's even worse. But in the meantime, in the meantime, it's like, there's your jumpsuit and there's your stupid purple turtleneck. I hate these uniforms. Can we, can we talk about these now? <laughs> yes. We've waited long enough. The worst, the worst uniforms I think we've ever had to suffer through. And they used it so much. It's like, I, I I'm having a hard time putting words to this. These these jumpsuits have a very interesting history. They've played around with them so much. I mean, that's very clearly they're an evolution of the cadet uniforms. Yeah. But even then, like, I got this picture of Nicholas Lucano up from uh, whatever episode that was where you saw the the prototype for Tom Paris. Those even looked better. That was a solid top red. They didn't have any sort of uh, V-neck slit. Then um, these are like... Uh, the cadet uniforms from you remember that uh, TNG episode where uh, Picard gets beamed off and it's like four people and there's the cadet in there with them and it's like a big observation thing. Yeah. Anyways, that that cadet, she's uh, was it Tholians? They had the thing down the their head like a butt crack going their whole head, like Mata Barber. But Bullion, Bullion, Bullion. Yeah. She, you know, it that was the real cadet prototype to this jumpsuit. Just that purple turtleneck like this is so so soft weak 90s sauce that i think it really encapsulates a lot of things well and unfortunately since they're cut off from starfleet that by the time the uh the the first contact uh black jumpers with uh gray shoulder pads roll out they don't ever get to see those upgrades so just every time i see the elastic belts on them just drives me nuts man but anyway so paris is in this uniform and and they're finally going over to to, to talk some some real talk with this this stuff they found over at the array, and they get they break out their like Tommy gun looking phaser rifles and they roll over all hard as fuck and uh, they find like one dude strumming a banjo in the middle. They interrogate him like, all right, motherfucker, before we start gatting you, you tell us where our fucking people are. And he's he he makes like he's this bit higher life form. He's got this issue he's gotta he's gotta procreate so that he does not say procreate that's a that's the big reveal at the end you're, you're confusing two scenes he totally brushes them off to the point where he like q like wave of the hand like teleports them out of there this guy wants no part of these guys he's got bigger things to do and they're just wasting his time i don't even know why they were able to beam onto the starship or onto the space station with the amount of disdain and disinterest this guy has this guy's guy obviously got a lot of juice because he literally waves his hand and everybody that was sent over 
uh, is right back on Voyager's bridge. So they know they've got a big problem. And then after that, they cut to this, you know, sterile white room looking place with some some Mennonite looking aliens uh, looking down at Harry Kim, uh, who's obviously concerned because he's in a, in a weird place. And then he looks down at his hand and to his horror, he's got all of a sudden got like alien herpes. Syphilis. That's syphilis. He's got some some fucking alien bug uh, all up in him, and next to him uh, awakens Bolana Torres, who starts Star Trek fighting everyone that she possibly can. Oh yeah, she lays him out. A classic double double hand fist hammer blows. That's a double axe handle. You know, just starts just Picard favorite. It starts starts trying to take it to everybody. That's actually a, a Kirk classic. I'll have you know. Mm. But uh, sure. the uh, she ends up getting sedated, and the, we don't get really any dialogue. We just know they've got weird hep, you know, hep C alien hep C on them, and they're someplace else. That doctor looked familiar to me too, uh, and this is I think going to be an ongoing theme for this show. Is uh, spot the TNG guy? <laughs> I, I had to pause the episode when I was watching with my wife, and I'm like, I I thought he was from the episode of TNG where. Uh, they gotta get the uh, the ultra advanced clone people to start having sex with the space hillbillies to repopulate. Remember, there's chickens all over the cargo bay. Yeah, well, I was wrong. It's not. He was from uh, that's Bruce French. He was from Drumhead. That was the episode where uh, Nora Satie comes and starts accusing someone of uh, sabotaging the Enterprise. He was one of her assistants. Oh yeah, he was the like the Betazoid or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember him now. So again, you know. Throwaway dude one week, throwaway dude next week. <laughs> He's no Rogan and R, but you know that's that's two solid TNG plugs in there so far that I'm aware of. Lizo Campa, that that's the name of this uh, this race. Well, I don't know. I might be getting ahead of myself. What's what's next here? So the next scene's a quiet scene in Janeway's uh, ready room. Uh, back on Voyager, they they do a captain's log. They're like, we're gonna go check this planet out. That this. This energy is getting beamed to because, you know, if our dudes are anywhere, they're probably there. And mm-hmm. Janeway has a scene with Tuvok where she's reflecting uh, somewhat emotionally on trying to get to know her crew better, talking about who Harry Kim is, that she, he's got Asian helicopter parents who wanted to send his clarinet. Um, but she seems clearly affected by the loss of the crew members that she's already had. And wanting to get them all home safe, like we get a little of emotion, and it was it was a good way to demonstrate how she's different than than Kirk and Picard and Cisco before her, in that you know, Kirk was a bonviance and Picard was super intellectual, and Cisco is a loose cannon, and she she kind of gives a shit about people on a personal level. So let's do a now versus then. Where do you think? audiences at home would have been on seeing the softer side of a captain who is vulnerable and self-doubting it's 1995 this shit is this is prime time to to be in touch with your emotions on television really i I don't think this was received really well was it like showing that i I seem to remember like a lot i don't i don't think the hardcore trekkers would have really dug seeing you know this kind of a captain but me watching it now as a 35 year old in you know 2000, I guess it would have been 2018 when we watched this. I thought it was a, a solid development scene and uh, and very relatable, and uh, I liked it. I mean, I, I don't know how Trek fandom did or did not like this episode when it was initially 
put out or well you you as a trekker then versus you as a trekker now where where would you have put this scene before as a as a eighth grader i mean i certainly appreciate it more now and for the same reason you do you know when you're an adult sure. and you've had real responsibility in your life you can better appreciate someone bringing to their performance the weight of the things that have happened around them a bit more and you get spoiled like you get spoiled watching you know even in star trek watching like patrick stewart kind of pull this off easily all the time mm-hmm. so it's a tough thing to do and and it's well done in this scene in particular it's quiet what do you think about Tuvok's involvement i think people bag at two we haven't talked about Tuvok much as a character because Tuvok is a vulcan he's the first full-blooded vulcan main show character we've ever had on star trek to this point and he's very vulcan i mean he's, he's very straightforward and doesn't express emotion and plays that stereotype extremely well, which means it doesn't give you a lot to talk about. I've got my notes here because she actually goes on to talk about his family a little bit. And, you know, he does the typical, you know, they don't, what was it? They don't miss me or. Well, they're not worried about me, but. Yeah, but they, he they does miss cop me. to them I'm, missing him. Yeah. Yeah. They cops, he cops to the emotional connection. Sure. Uh, you know, who, who is he that he's become this emotional confidant kind of for the for the captain, you know, he's willing to go off and do these uh, deep cover missions into terrorist organizations. And then I stopped and I really started thinking about it, like how crazy it feels while he's talking about his family and this and that. Like, dude's a Vulcan and he's in security. What what kind of Vulcan goes into security? And I don't know if it's something they really kind of flesh out through the series, but I mean, it would seem almost like an insult to me, like. You know, here you are, you're this high elf uh, intellectual, and you're going to go do thug security work. Like, is his family ashamed of him? I know in in future episodes, they really show that Tuvok is a tactical mind. And so he's always, he's very into puzzles. He's very into figuring things out. So it makes sense in a way that he took the, the, the tactical track in his Starfleet career um, and that, you know, he's he's very much into finding the solution to a problem just in a more practical way than a scientific way, which I think is cool. It gives you a different view on Vulcans because all the Vulcans we've seen, well, the one that we've really spent a lot of time with has been very science-oriented. So this is something different. But, you know, we don't really get to know much about him yet, really at all in, in the pilot, except for one thing, which is the next scene when we meet perhaps the – you know, truly the best character. I know we talked about the Doctor, but let, let's, heart of hearts, the best character on Voyager, uh, and that is Neelix. Or or perhaps, if you prefer, Space Snarf Snarf. <laughs> um, you know, he we, we see uh, Voyager encounter a space garbage trowel, literally. Mm. This guy's like, it's got this messy, like, efficiency apartment in space. Where he's like, I found this garbage. This garbage is mine. He's like an angry hobo, and he looks like one too. Uh, he's like dressed in like all these like furs and shit. Like he just got out of Rua Penthe or something. Like he just got out of the first Ferengi episode. Yeah, and uh, he, he talks like, Oh wait, are you guys like uh, some 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 other part of the galaxy? And just kind of got roped in here somewhere. And all of a sudden, everyone's all ears to space snarf snarf. Some very 90s uh, space camcorder work there with him, like, moving the scene around and being off frame. Yeah, like, he's got, like, just, like, one little, like, CVT. That's his view screen. He's got to, like, hold it to be able to see. But uh, 
they barter with him that he apparently wants water. Uh, and Janeway just kind of like smiles to herself like, yeah, I'll, I'll get you some water, bro. Can you, can you come help me find my dudes? Cause you seem to know what the hell is going on and we don't know where we are. But you know, Neelix drops this hint that like other ships have been brought in from other parts of the galaxy. So this has happened a lot. I don't think we ever pay that off. I don't think we have, aside from one episode deep in the Voyager, we never see anyone else that gets zapped in here from the Alpha Quadrant. Aside from these dudes. There's a lot of stuff that I, I suspect goes on in this episode that they never really circle back to. Like, it was a crime that Next Gen did. It just these these plot hooks that they would throw out that would just go absolutely nowhere, sadly. Yeah, so so Neelix comes in, snarf, snarfing all over the uh, transporter room, and eventually he gets sunk into his quarters. This was my biggest what-the-fuck moment, was the follow-up scene here, which is where Tuvok goes back to grab him because they've arrived on the fifth planet. Yeah. The Ocampa planet. Yeah. The Ocampa planet. And Tuvok just rolls right into this dude's crib. No doorbell, no nothing. Just walks right in here. Not only goes in this guy's quarters, but like walks right into the fucking bathroom where it's very clear. This dude's in the bath. I guess the Delta Quadrant's like fucking space on this country because no one fucking knows what a goddamn, te- you know, transporter or replicator is. And, uh, you know, Snarf Snarf has gone around and like ordered as much, you know, uh, replicator room service as he possibly could. Which right there, I'm going to say that is where Neelix cements himself as my spiritual animal because I've had so many... <laughs> daydreams in my head like god if i had a replicator in the wall like what wouldn't i be like give me some like fat julian fries from cedar point slathered in vinegar and like just every crazy thing fuck it take a bite off of this bite off of that just stack food to the ceiling because you've got a magic hole in the wall that you can get anything out that you want you gluttonous pig go 100 percent, and that's what neelix does and that's why i appreciate him that's why I respect him. He does. He's very uh, – Tuvok comes in to Tim Russ's credit, the guy who plays him. He plays a very like dry sarcasm in the scene. Can I have one of your shitty uniforms? No, you can't have this shitty uniform. We only let people wear uniforms who are uh, fucking criminals and prisoners and felons on this ship. Nothing for you, Neelix. They get him dressed up and, and meanwhile we get another shot back on the Ocompan planet. Uh, where we finally get some dialogue between Harry Kim and, and Bolana. Bolana's apparently a sole character trait in this episode is I am angry because she is angry at all times towards all things. Um, Harry Kim tries to, to, to talk her down. and uh, So this isn't the first time we've seen a, a half-human, half-Klingon. Yeah, Kilar from TNG was our first look, and it's she's got a similar forehead situation as her. But... Character-wise, I mean, I would say Bolana Taurus is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Like, you know, Worf, uh, and and it's funny, you know, we bring this up because uh, their child, um, Alexander Rojenko, Worf's son, the actor actually just passed away, what, yesterday? The day before yesterday? Oh, I didn't know that. That sucks. Yeah, man. He was like 35, I think. I was like, wow, that dude's my age. I, th- I think he was 35, but yeah. You know, anyway, so his mom was like, you know, the first uh, half-human, half human uh, half Klingon, and she was an ambassador and very smooth operator, and her anger only got the better of her under like extreme circumstances. Whereas like Balana's like her only has like a calm thought 
on a blue moon. Like she's just the complete polar opposite. Voyager checked a lot of the equal opportunity boxes for the nineties. You got the female captain, mm-hmm. you got a minority first officer, her confidant, you know, it's the first, I think that's the first black Vulcan we really saw. Uh, if you're saying that, uh, Bolana was, uh, a Latina actress, Asian. I mean, that's, I think aside from the hologram doctor and Paris, I mean, they're the only two white dudes, right? That is correct. And really Tom Paris is the only actual dude. Yeah. And I mean, they kind of portray him as a womanizing criminal. So yeah. Yeah. yeah like this show was woke <laughs> 22 years ago, which is why I always rolled my eyes at discoveries. Like, you know, like trying to make hay about, Oh, look at us. We're focusing on these strong female characters. I'm like, this, this is, this is two decades old. This is old. This was old hat in the nineties. That might've been a, a big part of too, why Voyager didn't receive the warmest receptions. I mean, that was a lot of bold, diversity choices and i think they really front loaded it hard and that might have caused some turbulence there but again looking at it from 2018 and you know where tv's at now like a lot of this stuff just doesn't pop off the screen as maybe it would have in the mid 90s yeah i mean i I was too young to really understand if there was backlash from it then but it certainly as a younger viewer didn't give me any pause maybe not backlash but i think there could have definitely been some some uh resentment in the back seat there that that weighed things down yeah the the okampa doctor comes in just like you're about to say and says hey you got brought here by the caretaker this is our sweet underground jam. Look at all this. Look at this city. Look at all this great stuff we've got going on down here. And um, we got bad news for you, though. That's not that's not space herpes. That's space AIDS. That's space AIDS. It's gonna fucking kill you. It's not. It's not HIV. It's full blown AIDS. And so we cut back to Neelix, and well, hold on before we we get off of that. There, like. It's clearly not. I don't know. The Ocampo don't seem to give a shit about it. They're like, "Yeah, we'll touch you, and we'll fucking fist fight and brawl you, and dress you and undress you while you're you're unconscious." So they don't care about it. My, you know, my big takeaway from all this stuff is that the Ocampo love fishnet. <laughs> Fashion is has been a real big focus on this for me, and uh, the Ocampo like. 50% of any of their costumes is some sort of pastel fishnet material. These dudes are like some postmodern goth action for real space elves. They are apparently telepathic. We saw some things with them being able to, to speak with their minds. I, I don't think in this episode at all we hear about their lifespan. No, they do. They, they talk about it explicitly when they uh, end up on, I don't, we'll, we'll get to, or I don't know how much we want to fucking get into the, the detail here, but when they're up on the surface and like, what are those guys called? Kazon? They're like, yeah, these guys suck. They only live nine years. They're bad slaves and they're bad. Uh, they're bad and they're worthless. That's right. So that's when it gets mentioned. And then and, and that's the next scene. They're Chakotay, Janeway, Tuvok. And Neelix and now this weird checkered suit thing that they replicated for him, I guess, have, have beamed down to this planet to trade water. Does Paris go down with him too? Yeah, Paris is there too. You're right. You know, I want to jump onto this for a second here, and it's it's an overarching observation. It's like, how much does Janeway hate her crew? Like, yeah, she's got some deaths or whatever, but it's like, okay, so her helm officer, who she eventually ends up replacing him with, is dead. Like. Anything that this prisoner wants to do, she's like, here's the keys to the castle. You can go anywhere, do anything. 
like free feel free to knock around on the bridge you know starfleet observer here's your uniform but you know more to the point eventually she takes all these maquis people and fills all these key positions like does rank and and seniority mean nothing on this vessel does she hate the lower decks of her crew so much that she's like you know what terrorists and prisoners bridge crew to me guys like lieutenant junior grade stone so like uh why why am i getting completely fucking passed over like make these dudes be ensigns and busters or you know put them in the fucking brig nah you keep staying down there being a little nobody we're promoting from outside the organization Our, my head cannon is is janeway likes a bad boy and and, and yeah. she's got some feelings going on and it's just letting letting tom do what he wants but they beam down to the planet and they encounter the worst, like, persistent antagonist in Star Trek history, uh, the Kazon, who are basically Klingons if they were terrible. Poor dirt farmers and bad at everything and just buttholes. Uh, that would be the Kazon. They've got these, like, weird dread hair going on. They've got these crappy latex ridges all over their face. And they're just dirty. And they just want to, like scavenge and take shit and they suck let me tell you what i think the kazon are i think the kazon are what would happen if you were to crossbreed the klingons with the pack lead <laughs> that's close like that's how much these guys they suck. suck pretty bad and uh, so yeah they, they they go flashing you know their high-end transporter technology and and replicators and jumping back to neelix for a second that scene where he's just stacking food to the ceiling like I know the replicators go offline at some point because it's a pretty big deal that they, they lose the ability to, to just magic anything in. And, and I'll talk later on about you know the difficulties that I think the replicators present to writers. But I thought it was interesting that they were so much in the forefront for this episode with uh, the magic wonders of replication. They do, to their credit, do a lot of story with the impact of the Federation's crazy technology level. And to that point, they beam in a bunch of water to bribe these Kazon with to say, hey, can you help us figure out how to get to where these Okampan are because we got to find our dudes. And that's where the Kazon's like, what, do you, what the fuck do you care about, you know, Okampan? They suck. They don't live very long. And like, see, I got one over there and she won't fucking tell me anything even though I've beat the shit out of her. And we see Kess for the first time. I took away her fishnet and she still won't talk. And she's this, this waifish looking woman in the worst page boy haircut you've ever seen. Dude, her wig looks like a fucking Q-tip. Like, I've, I've got that as a note in my in my book here, in my non-Star Trek branded notebook. Like, Q-tip wig, what the fuck? And Neelix, mind you, everyone basically got disarmed like a bunch of chumps the moment they showed up. But Neelix comes in with the commando move and gets his gat on the head Kazon to re to get all the the federation guys their 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 glocks back he goes full hostage he does and then he blows up the water grabs dick move grabs Cass and says we got to we got to go let's 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 hit hit the hit the accelerator we got to move they beam back up to the ship and we find out of course that Neelix did all of this to rescue his his fucking uh you know Ocompen child bride because uh, <laughs> they're together, and you know he she he can't she can't be any older than nine, so that is not legal in the Alpha Quadrant for sure. Yeah, you know, strong strong pickup on that. But yeah, I, I want to go back to like when he just shoots this water, both water tanks, just needlessly. Like yeah, on Janeway's side, like look, here's some people. There's some real hardship. There's you know, 
there's there's a there's people starving and and dying of thirst and we can just make water it's no issue to us and yeah that guy was kind of a dick but they're like women and children down there like maybe it would have been cool if you would have exerted zero effort and like just sent down some more water you know for goodwill because hey you're the new kids on block and uh, maybe presenting the federation as vicious tormentors to what 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 is it you know the the fucking like they're in hell you know and every time they go to take a drink of water it evaporates like she's she's become the embodiment of uh of the greek hell you know and to to top it all off uh they have a little discussion uh on the ship in, in sick bay uh janeway you know gets angry that the doctor wants to like force everyone to leave so she just shuts him off, which is not the last time we'll see that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the image just gets turned off, and Robert Picardo shoots her this glance that's just withering right before he evaporates. Mm-hmm. That, well, that's a glance of, uh, you know, one day you are going to need to go into surgery, and I'm going to have to put a catheter in you, and it is going to be very unpleasant. <laughs> and Kess, aside from having a terrible wig, of course she's morally perfectly correct, so she wants to... Immediately go back down and find a way to get into the city to, to find uh, Harry and Bellana, who, while this has happened, have found, like, the renegade underground space elves. Question the way of the elders and are, you know, they're not happy eating, uh, you know, nutrient sludge anymore. They want better things in life. And most importantly, the, the renegade shows uh, uh, Harry and Bellana to an ancient cave to that they can they can climb up to escape. Uh, which fortunately for them has steps. It's probably not OSHA compliant, but it seems like this is going to be pretty easy exit. No, there's a railing. Those are legit, and they're well lit too. That's very OSHA compliant. I think the biggest thing out of uh, the scene with uh, the Ocampa underground isn't the revelation that they can escape or anything else. Like my biggest note there was whatever drug she gave them. Did did you pick up on that when she handed it over? Yeah, it was like this little herbal packet that's like rub this in your wounds. It wasn't a packet, dude. That was a that was a fucking like Dungeons and Dragons crystal dice set dice box. I paused. I'm like, that is straight up a fucking like you know when you go to like these cons and they got you know the is it crystal dice? Is that what they're called? Is that the big uh, dice manufacturer, Crystal Castle or something? Shit, I do not know. Well, look, I'm telling you, I in my in my D and D box there are several of those chock full of D20s. And that is what she hands this green dust over, which, and we'll get to the whole sickness thing later on anyways, but jumping back to Kess, you know, cause that's her, that's her, her chance to really like get up and kind of introduce the character grandstand and tell you what she's about. What did you think of her other than her Q-tip wig? I mean, she's, she's just uh, played up as this morally perfect person. Like she wants to do the right thing all the time. I know that's supposed to play up her naive innocence and thus her age. I think in in the next couple episodes we find out she's two. So she just doesn't know much about the world. So she's just pure and innocent. I think that's the intention. I liked her. I thought thought she had a really strong delivery. I thought she held up her end of the scene well. Very well acted. And the impression I got off of her was almost a freedom fighter type of quality. Like... It's very clear she bucked her own system and, and decided to strike out on her own. And now she's, you know, putting it to Neelix. And I, I like the character. I, I don't ever remember liking Kess going back in and seeing her first introduction. It left a good taste in my mouth. It's just, I find her to be the least interesting character on the show. 
Oh, I'm sure I'll get to that conclusion too, and I'll be very happy to grandstand it. But for now, I'm going to give credit where credit was due, and uh, her. Yeah, I mean, she she has a good initial episode. I'll I'll agree. I'll agree. Her pilot performance, I I liked the character from what I saw so far. And uh, we we cut back to her essentially finding a way to get the uh, Voyager uh, Scooby Squad into this L.A. shopping mall that they're shooting uh, the Ocampan Underground in. Oh my god, I am so happy that you said that, because that is my... I got this thing highlighted. Complete with an escalator, like in the middle of the Yes! Place. Yes! <laughs> yes! I'm like, I went back and watched it again, and my wife's like, what, what do you... Like, this huge dramatic, you know, revelation that would come on later in the scene about, uh, you know, the caretaker's falling apart, and the surface is getting bombarded, and we need to get out of here, and and all of this tension, and they deliver it on what is very clearly a shopping mall escalator going up over the fucking rubber handrail. Like, what the fuck? There, it's, it's instead of a walk and talk, it's a, it's, it's a stand and ride ex, exposition scene. The Tuvok delivers all of the, I have deduced that this is what is happening, uh, Deus Ex Falcona. On, on a fucking escalator. It's so fucking 90s. Listen, when I go through and I watch something I like, there's a, I get I get engrossed myself and I get into it. I'm not doing that with Voyager at all. Knowing that this is a podcast, like I've got like real talk glasses on and and, and I'm, I'm nitpicking. But this thing, I felt like it was like a magic booger that just kept on going. Like once I latched on to that, okay, good. So so you saw it was very clearly a shopping mall. Completely took me out of uh, whatever high production value they had established at this point. Even worse in the stupid down on the farm cracker barrel scene they they put us through so let's let's fast forward a bit through the next 15 minutes because nothing essentially happens it's a lot of pointless chase sequence the whole fucking thing is stupid and again you know driving back to what i said before like you got this really good tense situation of the starfleet the maquis in the middle of nowhere and you just jamming this boring ass ocampa shit in there They, they basically have this this dueling sequence where it's them figuring out where Harry and Bolana are trying to escape. Harry and Bolana complaining about having to climb stairs, having them find the stairs. You find out that she was a Starfleet cutout, which at that point is like a hundred percent of the Maquis people that we've been introduced to at this point are former Starfleet deserters, quitters, or or worse. You know, it just seems like this is just where angry washouts go. Like it would be white yep. trans terrorists. It, they're like the Anarchs. They can't cut it in the status system. Uh, what eventually happens is that the caretaker is basically sealing off the Ocampa because he's dying. So he's delivered a bunch of energy to them because we discovered in a prior scene that the uh, caretaker accidentally destroyed the Ocampa's atmosphere, which is why they live underground now. Oops. So this all got pieced together over the course of the episode. He's dying, so he's basically trying to set the Ocampa up with like a savings account. Uh, mm-hmm. And now that he's done that, he's trying to basically seal it off so that the Kazon can't can't raid them. And so they're racing against time to try and get the, all of their shit out of there so they can escape. And they they stereotypically do at the nick of time, but not before Paris has to go back down and save Chakotay and s- just level some really racist Indian comments. <laughs> oh, good. I'm. I mean, he comes in like. There, the, we're rushing through a lot of stuff here, and I got a few I want to nitpick. But you've just hit one of the big nails on the head. Like, 
like can't you turn into like a, a desert eagle or something and like you know this a nut chuck <laughs> super friends like use some of your ninja magic to basically get us out of here the the real humdinger for me is where he's like basically Chakotay gets incapacitated his leg gets stuck in some non-osha compliant piping um and you know Chakotay is like hey dudes get out of here and 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 Paris hangs around in a very I would almost say a sadistic look on his face of knowing that he's about to get some heavy I told you so points and really rub some faces and some shit. So he goes, pulls uh, Chakotay's ass out of the fire and just basically straight up says, like, I'm enslaving you, Indian, and I own you now. Chakotay, that's a Wookiee name, right? We now cut to a big space battle. I just want—I want to point out that the the caretaker on their third visit to the stupid space station. Now he busts out the fucking tea and crumpets and and like lays the whole plan out about why they're there and this and that. Like on his deathbed, when arguably his time is the most valuable, this guy's just rolling everything out and giving you the full exposition when he wouldn't even give the Voyager like the time of day before that. So what happened is that the Kazon get wise to the fact that Voyager's got a bunch of like cool technologies. They roll up in there. In their their space hoopties and they they give battle and at first they're not no match they're really big space hoopty like that school bus that someone bought you know that that rolls up and it's 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 definitely going to be a harder fight and in fact Chakotay suicide bombs the uh, little uh, Trans Am into it to disable it uh, while Janeway and Tuvok are on the array getting this this last second info dump from the caretaker. Why did the caretaker not just obliterate the Kazon? Yeah, like he doesn't see – he seems very passive to everything going around him except to to help the Okampa in the least effective way possible. I, I would – like he's identified the Kazon are the biggest threat. He doesn't want to attack him. He's obviously remorseful for what he's done to the Okampa. I, so, it, oh, he seems to be some sort of pacifist. Maybe the space station doesn't have weapons. Maybe he is against harming other creatures. Except, you know, he's over there pumping everybody full of fucking space aids in an attempt to, what, biologically assimilate captives into children? Like, he's a parasite? He's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. He's, he's terminally infecting people. By the way, Harry Kim and Bellana Torres, their space aids never gets mentioned again, and they are apparently cured. It does not get mentioned in the episode what happens. Dude, I've got that right on my piece of paper here, too. Like, what the <laughs> it's like, like they get beamed back up to the ship, and it's it's apparently space aids is just is a quick inoculation for the Federation. So so Chicote 911's the big Kazon ship. It starts to break up. It hits the array, and it knocks out. The, the caretaker's self-destruct sequence. And at the same time, uh, Tuvok rolls up and is like, I have figured out how this shit works. I am quite certain that if we have a few hours, I can get us back to the Alpha Quadrant. No problem. Mm-hmm. And so the caretaker reduces itself down to a giant kidney stone and it is dead. Which Janeway wastes zero time in going over and fucking manhandling. Right, like just takes those alien remains and takes them in hand. Like she's like, she loots them. She. This is where the episode falls apart for me entirely, mm-hmm. because this is the crux, right? This is the moment where they make the big decision that sets up the rest of the series. And Tuvok rightly points out the we shouldn't even be involved in this. the 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 prime directive would suggest that we do anything here, we're interrupting what would be the natural balance of power. And so, why don't we just go home and leave all this to all the rest of them to sort out? And Janeway. 
who just met these space these these mayfly space elves uh, for like t- ten minutes says now nah, we have an obligation to just blow this place and find another way home because otherwise they would get subjugated so uh, we're gonna beam back over and we're gonna blow this joint and I just did not buy that scene at all I just didn't and, and you're you're pointing it out and it's it was something I was thinking about too. Did she not just have like a big long ass conversation with a suddenly chatty caretaker where she's like, look, you need to leave people to their own devices. And maybe these Ocampa who you think, you know, can't survive on their own, they'll surprise you and and be able to flourish. Right. There was even swelling music while that monologue was happening. So she goes from like saying like the Ocampa will be fine on their own to no, the Ocampa need to be protected and that's why we're going to destroy the space station. I mean, they, they don't even like suggest the idea of like, why don't we like beam over a timed bomb like right before we bounce? Yeah. Or anything like, like that. It's just let's go back to our ship and blow it up and be stranded on the other side of the galaxy. I got one more point to make. If you're going to base your whole show on this sort of lost in space style, stranded you know, uh, island in a stream of stars type of situation. Mm-hmm. Please make the moment of choice for that, the the where you you tighten up your writing to the maximum level. Please don't yep. make that a sloppy as, as the episode ends bullshit emotional point. So, the the intrepid again going back. You've got the you know the pinnacle of Federation technology, and the intrepid is smaller than the galaxy. But from what I was reading, I mean, it's still about the size of an ambassador class, right? Which was a heavy cruiser. Well, it's got a lot less people in it. I mean, I don't know how the relative size work. I'd have to look at one of those charts that nerds put together sometimes on the internet. But, I mean, it's only got 140 people in it. And an ambassador class had, you know, three or four times that. But, I mean, you're not – we're not talking about a runabout here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a tight – you know, this is a this is a tight little ship. This thing – I think they said that lengthwise at least it was like from the deflector dish to the saucer from Ted and Ford on the, the Galaxy – and you're packing some pretty heavy firepower on this thing. Like, where are the Kazon really in the tech? Like, obviously, they don't have teleport transporters. They don't have replicators. Has this essentially established here that even though they don't have, like, luxury technology, like, their shields and phasers are still on par with the best, the, the bleeding edge of the Federation technology? Like, I would have thought that the, the Voyager would have been able to just fucking spank everybody and send them all, you know, home pack and being like, all right, we knocked out your shit. You're going to drift aimlessly in space while we get what we want and then yeah leave a charge behind to blow this fucking thing up if we even wanted to interfere to that point like this flies in all logic she just said hey caretaker the ocampa gotta stand on their own tuvok had her dead to rights i'm like look if we weren't here this shit would be happening anyways let nature take its course and the prime directive says the same thing and you're gonna strand all of us and then the follow-up argument to this which goes back to my big, you know, complaint was the Maquis just willy nilly, you know, mending broken wounds and, and thrown in with it. Like you're watching in real time as this this Starfleet captain just arbitrarily decides, hey, Ocampa lives matter more than uh, Federation and Maquis. We're gonna blow this damn thing up and damn everybody to a two hundred year voyage home. They're back on the ship. Voyagers say. Uh- Voyager, Janeway's telling Tuvok, prepare the tricobalt devices, which is a thing we've never heard before in Star Trek, but apparently pack a wallop. Bolana's like, what the fuck are you doing? And she's like, I'm going to blow this thing up. Very calmly, too. 
Right, and and Bolan is like, fuck you, no, we need that thing to get home. And then of all people, Chakotay, all of a sudden is 100% on board, who is a contentious asshole terrorist, not 20 minutes ago in this episode, just goes, she's the captain, she's making the decision. Like, fucking, are you for real? Are you for real right now? Like, this, this woman you don't know is about to strand you on the other side of the galaxy, and you're just cool with it? There was a deleted scene wherein uh, she called Chakotay into the ready room, grabbed him by the hair, bent him over, and put her thumb up his butt in uh, asserted dominance. It's like, I own this now. This belongs to me. Tom Paris came in, and he traded that life boon off that he had on Chakotay. And she called in that life debt to say, hey, look, you got to back me no matter what dumb fucking dis- – like." 101 ways to make this situation seem cemented in permanent and, and making sense. And these writers just pick the most flippant emotional avenue possible to explain why they have just shot themselves in the foot for seven years. Yeah. I mean, they had an hour and 45 minutes to do better than this. And this is what they fart out at the end. But they blow it up. They shoot the Trigolt devices. It blows up the Kazon or... Like, we're angry, we're going to take our space hoopties and get you next time gadget. You fucked us twice now. Not only did you shoot that water and, and, and torment us when you could have just, you know, left us with water and happy, but now the second time we've met you, you've uh, stuck your dick in our mashed potatoes again. Uh, we gave you a second chance. You guys suck. Uh, I hope you're ready for some persistent nagging. And uh, we get a, a quick coda in the episode where Janeway delivers a little speech about that they're all stranded now. But before that, though, we do get a scene in the ready room where Janeway calls in Tom, Bata's boy, now in the Delta Quadrant, and says, hey, Tom, listen, um, need someone to fly the ship. There's nobody else around. You're super qualified. And so I'm just going to commission you as a lieutenant, and you're going to fly the ship. And it's bizarre to me that this happens. For some reasons you already mentioned, you know, there are terrorists and all this stuff. Like, he, Tom Paris is both... Uh, got cashiered at a Starfleet and a terrorist. Like, at least Chicote just quit, <laughs> yep. right? All of the ma- Maquis, they're provisional, right? They have those weird bar provisional yep. uh, ranking mm-hmm. insignia. Tom Paris is, is straight up given normal rank insignia. Like, he's regular service. It's revealed in a, in a future episode that he's fourth in command of the ship. So it's Janeway, Chicote. Tuvok, and then Paris. The the negligent homicide former terrorist pilot is fourth in charge. Like, fucking Harry Kim might be fresh out of the academy, but he, he never murdered anybody. <laughs> <laughs> like, He never seriously? staged a cover-up. Right, like, he never staged a cover-up for negligent homicide. He's, he certainly never was a terrorist. She hates her crew with such a burning passion that she takes pirates and 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 animals <laughs> and i'm surprised there's not like a fucking fern sitting behind a, an important control panel if it means keeping one of these other yahoos she shipped off a ds9 with uh out of there you know and, and again she gets in front of the crew and says hey you know here's this long ass journey like not a single person in there like yeah bitch you fucking caused this problem we could have been just fine everyone's in uniform everyone's you know you know standing up straight like yes we're on this grand adventure together. You know, this this all slapped together the last 10 minutes of the episode. Yeah. And I want to go jump back to Paris. 
you know, when we met Will Riker for the first time, they were very sure to tell us that he was the best pilot in the Federation. Like, how lucky is it that every ship that gets commissioned gets the best current pilot in the Federation? It's uh, it's that Star Trek quality writing. Yeah. Also, the, they love their tropes. They yeah. love them. And you know, of all the Federation ships to get thrown to the far edges of space and have to make a. Uh, some sort of long discovery trek home. How lucky that it's that deep space exploration vehicle and perfectly equipped. How fortuitous. Good thing it wasn't some busted up old uh, Miranda class. I know, right? Like it's not uh, some Oberth class scout can't make warp six. You know, might as well just fly that shit into the sun for all the good old do you. So, some fucking Excelsior class that, you know, at least it looks good out there. You've got these people who are supposed to be in the brig at best. And, you know, she just snuffs her entire, you know, hey, how about your uh, security officer? I think he would have been a pretty solid choice for uh, XO. But I also like that they did play uh, that Paris was going to have some bad blood with these Maquis people. If, if, they, if they paid off any of that, which, you know, we'll, we'll see relatively quickly where that goes. Sure. But overall, Peter, did you, like, did you enjoy it? Did the strong first part outweigh the sort of slow decline? Like... What was your feelings? What's your takeaway? Was I don't think there was a strong first part. I think there was a strong potential that never realized for one reason or another. I think there were a couple very potent disappointments, like the premise establishing transportation of or accident being being very lackluster. The focus of the Ocampa over the Maquis conflict, the inclusion of the caretaker in Ocampa plot. I think that would have been an okay like second episode. Definitely not something you'd want to build around the the first thing. Uh, you know, I see potential, and I see a lot of stuff that I think, as a child, I would have rolled my eyes or been very uh, turned off by, uh, character-wise. Looking very strong in hindsight as a as a thirty-five-year-old, so I don't know. I uh, a lot of mixed feelings here. I think that uh, pilot, in many ways, represents all of the weaknesses of the show and all of its strengths. There are moments of brilliance, and there will be moments of brilliance as we go through this series. There are there are some fantastic Star Trek episodes in Voyager buried in there, and we're going to find them, and we're going to enjoy them. I have no doubt, knowing you, and and I know what we're kind of getting ourselves into since I've I've seen the series, although it's been a while since I've seen it all. the 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 moments of brilliance are overshadowed, unfortunately, by what seems to be just sloppiness, laziness. Or failure to deliver on a good idea. And I, I was really – I was into this episode until we get – I didn't remember how the payoff worked. I obviously remembered she blew up the array. But like the weakness of the last 15 minutes, which is where this entire hour and 45-minute episode was, 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 was hinged on, it just kind of just ended with this wet fart. It, you know, it didn't. It, it didn't end with like the, any kind of urgency. It didn't come together in a way that made sense. I mean, freaking Chakotay literally just stands there like a, like like a set of of, of crappy blinds. Just scarecrow. You know, like, you yeah. know, just goes along with this, and it just didn't make any sense to what they had established at that point. But I do think that uh, it had a really interesting premise there in the first twenty five minutes, and they just didn't really do anything with it. We spent a lot of time. We spent a lot of time with with Mayfly space elves that didn't matter. I will say that uh, as far as pilots go, uh, certainly beat uh, Encounter at Farpoint. So I'll give them credit for that. Uh, I would say the best of all the Star Trek pilots 
the original series, and then probably Enterprise. Like, Broken Bow is actually really good. This was okay. And we'll we'll see where this goes next. What's, uh, what's up next on the docket? So the uh, next episode is Parallax. The uh, evil Hal Jordan from DC fame. Well, this is the episode where they sort of kind of settle up on the unspoken, what do we do with all these terrorists that are on our crew now? question from the end of the episode so oh it's a good question do they also get into uh what happened to space syphilis uh no i'm pretty sure that's just uh um written off without a word so uh maybe that maybe the transporter cleared it up with its uh quarantine buffers do they uh you know the the caretaker said that there used to be two of them and there's another one floating around out there do they ever address that or is that just another loose thread that no one gives a shit about oh yeah yeah we will we'll We'll get there. We'll get there. That 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 tease was actually put out there as a safety clause, where Braga said that just in case the studio execs decided they wanted to go in a different direction with the show, they had a automatic thing they could call in to change up the show. So they could put it back into the traditional Alpha Quadrant format if they wanted. Yeah, or something along those lines. Yeah. So, but that definitely uh, comes into play later. There's a lot. You know, that we're going to see, obviously, they're in the Delta Quadrant, so that's the Borg part of space, and that's probably the most controversial part of the show. Um, And that's all to come. Any final thoughts before we wrap? I had a good time doing the podcast. I I look forward to doing the next one. Certainly, I've got a lot of pages to fill up in this uh, notebook, and I look forward to punishing my wife with making me sit through these episodes. Uh, My big big takeaway from this this recording, though, was uh, that discovery that Dr. Asshole was Rogue at an R. <laughs> He's secretly... Uh, my the, the my mind soldier. is blown. That's, yeah. uh, that's fucking awesome. Um, Jeff McCarthy, MVP. Yep. One scene, yep. one scene with with, with words in, in the entire pilot. But he made those count, man. He's, that's my MVP, this one. Here we are at the end. I'm going to go ahead and close this off with uh, my rule of acquisition uh, encapsulating this. Something for the, the listeners at home to think about. Rule of Acquisition 239. Never be afraid to mislabel a product. Oh, <laughs> will leave it there. All right, so next time. This is Peter. This is Joseph, and you have been on Vija Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant.